Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. What I'm going to talk about today is holy rebels, okay? Uh, holy rebels. See, look at that, very rock and roll. And we're looking at um, Acts chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage them to ha- to, for you to have them on your lap. Um, quite a lengthy passage today. We're not going to read it all. But for those of you who don't know, we are working through a series on the book of Acts. And what we're trying to do is be disciplined in that approach. We want to work through it methodically. We don't want to breeze over anything. And last week, I spoke about that very challenging passage we find in the New Testament about the death of Ananias and Sapphira. This couple who come deceitfully and, and lie before the church, lie before God, and lie to themselves. They withhold something. And we spoke last week about the spirit of hypocrisy and how God's burden is to purify the church. Why? Because a purified church, I don't know if you remember, what's a purified church? Thank you. Two people were listening. That's such a relief. It just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside, you know, when you pour your heart out in prep and two people... Two whole people. What's that? Oh, yeah, okay, three. Thank you. My wife is one of them. Thank you, Lord, that my wife's listening to me. Sunday by Sunday. It may be the only day she does, but I'll take it, Lord. Sunday's great. A purified church is a powerful church. That often we think the key to being a powerful church is more hunger, more prayer. And these things are great, of course. More worship, yeah, yeah. More evangelism, yeah. More stepping out in faith. Of course, all these things are really crucial for a church to be healthy and dynamic in the spirit. But without a shadow of a doubt, I think the most important thing for a church to be powerful is for a church to be purified. That actually we have a burden for holiness. We have a desire to walk in righteousness. James says the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. I love the King James, the way King James puts it, very Shakespearean. He says, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. In other words, they are effective. They do what they are meant to do. It's the prayers of the righteous. And and I think it's important to say it doesn't just mean the prayers of the saved. It means those who are saved and are proactively reorienting their life to walking out that salvation. Not just coming to church saying, okay, I'll give my life to Christ, and it not affecting our life, but rather those who are pursuing righteousness and holiness. I was talking to a brother in Christ this week, and I know I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that actually there is a path that we are on. Jesus calls it the narrow way. And, and I think it's really true that the, the road is broad that leads to destruction, that it's easy to kind of just do what you want when you want, and then experience the consequences of those decisions but Jesus invites us to walk a narrow path and I believe the path is narrowing so actually what do I mean by that is that attitudes mindsets words thoughts things that were in your life last year God is now convicting you of this year because what he's wanting you to do is become more like Christ That's what the narrow walk does is as you walk on with Jesus, it doesn't mean that you just live in constant kind of utopia and mountain highs because walking with Jesus is like this. But there's a sense that every every season that goes past, there's more baggage being dealt with. Amen. Who's excited to deal with their baggage? Good, because a purified church is a powerful church. And so today I'm looking at holy rebels And I don't know what you think of when I say the word rebel. Maybe you think of a maverick, a person who lives outside the lines, a person who lives outside the accepted norms. Like, I don't know what you're like with rules. Put your hand up if you are a prolific rule keeper. Not many of you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Louise, why isn't your hand up? It was. 
I just don't, I, I, there's some things in life where God's got a sense of humor for sure. So I spoke about Kairos and Kronos. My relationship with time is very relaxed. Louise's relationship with time is very specific and exact. You know, very, I don't know, it's just the spirit of control. I don't know what it is. It needs to be dealt with. Um, like exact. Just like, no, Jesus just went where the spirit led him. I'm more like that, okay? Um, and I think often God in his infinite wisdom brings these two people together so that they can fight out time matters for the rest of their marriage. <laughs> and I also suspect as well that maybe God like, brings people together. Like Louise is a prolific rule keeper. I am more inclined to break rules. I know, I know. And I'm, I, I'm sorry if this is a concerning thing. Like not big ones, just little ones. I'm just leveling with you, man. Maybe I need ministry. I don't know. But like, I just think, I almost think rules are a bit like pharisaical. So again, I think I have the mindset of Christ in this matter. Like, honestly, I've been reflecting on it for a number of years because I feel quite happy breaking a rule. If I'm walking down Bournemouth Gardens and it says no ball games, I'm like, what is this, North Korea? I'm playing ball (laughs) in Bournemouth Gardens. Does anyone relate to that? You know, there's certain things where it says, do not walk this side. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, I, you know, I'm a free will agent. God has given me free will. Why are you denying me my rights as a human being? Um, and I think, like, for me, there's a sense that I'm not saying this is right. I'm playing when I'm saying it's a good thing. It's probably not a good thing. But, like, I always want to test the boundaries. And, and Louise, she's, she, it's, I think one of the, her biggest headaches with me is that she constantly feels like we're on the verge of getting in trouble in any environment because it doesn't really matter where we are like I'm always just pushing the edge just a little bit just like to see what can we get away with you know and Louise is always very much more stay within the lines Dom the rule is there for a reason and this is the most God-honoring kind of posture to adopt and and maybe she's right but for me I, I guess when it comes to it if I really cook it down it's that if I don't understand the value of a rule I'm less inclined to keep the rule so I'm thinking That grass seed, no doubt, was paid for by my tax money. (laughs) Thus, this is an extension of my back garden. (laughs) I will step on it. I will play football on it. And, you know, really, I'm a a law unto myself. Okay. Now, I, I have been looking. There are some surprising laws that still exist, right? I've been looking at this. It's an offense to be drinking alcohol and in charge of a cow in the same moment. (laughs) I may have just saved you guys from some horrendous fine. But if you think about having a can of beer or a glass of wine whilst you're in care of a cow, (laughs) this is bad news. I mean, George, you're a farmer. Okay, you deal with a cow first. And then have your glass of wine, okay? Um, it's an interesting one. I just, I just guess as a pastor, I just really want to put that on your radar because I don't want to have to come and bow you out of the local jail, okay? <laughs> just in case you're inclined to have a glass of wine and take charge of a cow in the same evening, okay? There's another one here. Handling a salmon in a suspicious way. <laughs> I promise you, well, I promise you this is what I found. I just typed on Google, ridiculous UK's laws that are still in place. I'm trying to imagine, how do you handle a salmon in a suspicious way? 
Like, is it that you just look like you're up to something? <laughs> Nothing to see here, guys. Just uh, no fishy business happening here. <laughs> I was going to carry on with the cow theme, but I thought it might be milking it. Anyways, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was trying to picture, like, how do you handle a salmon in a suspicious way? I was thinking about one of those kind of... You know those old school fake uh, disguises with the big nose and the plastic moustache and glasses? Just with those and holding a salmon at the same time, okay? Interesting. I mean, crazily, it sounds like it's an old law. That law came into place in 1986. Now, I'm telling you, if I buy a salmon, I'm going to be as suspicious as I want <laughs> with that salmon. There ain't no telling me how to handle my salmon. That's, that's my salmon. I will be as suspicious as I like. And so if you have brought any salmon with you today, just handle it in a non-suspicious way, okay? Uh, finally, the third thing, don't shake your rug in the street after 8 a.m. It's illegal to go and bang your rug out on your street after 8 a.m. Between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., it is forbidden. There is a hefty fine, legitimately, that the police can issue to you if they see you banging your rug in the street. Now, I don't know what it makes you want to do. It makes me want to borrow a cow from George. It makes me want to go and buy a salmon, get a rug, and do all of these things simultaneously. <laughs> uh, yeah, with a glass of wine, okay, non-alcoholic wine, okay. Um, and, and I don't know, just suspiciously play with a salmon. I don't know what that looks like. Questionably take care of a cow whilst drinking, whilst banging my rug, walking behind them at about nine in the morning. So if you see that happening in Wallace Down tomorrow, just let me be, okay? Just let me be. Um, anyway, questionable things. Um, so today I want us to look at this idea of holy rebellion. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump to the end of this passage because I think actually it's really funny really extraordinary and incredibly challenging. So we're going to jump right down to the bottom in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And we're kind of going to work backwards. But uh, read this with me. They called the apostles in. The apostles were those who walked with Jesus, okay? The disciples. Uh, they were 12, but now they're 11 because Judas is no longer in the picture. Uh, they, they called them in. This is the Sanhedrin, the religious council, and had them flogged. Now, flogged means that they were beaten hard. They were whipped either with, obviously, a whip, as you can hear, that kind of whip, or a cane. Um, they, had, they, they were absolutely just beaten. Like, actually, in... in um, actually, I won't get into that. But, yeah, they were beaten within an inch of their life. And then look at this. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So, they're beaten, and they said, you must not speak in the name of Jesus. That is a rule. The Sanhedrin had the right and authority to establish these kind of rules because they worked on behalf of the Roman Empire. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, not because they had been released, not because they were still alive, but because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What name? In capital N, its name, Jesus. They were counted worthy, and so that led them to rejoice. Thank you. Just imagine that for a minute. Thank you, Lord, that we were beaten today. Because in our stubbornness to quit, 
but in, instead to, to endure, to keep going, and to, to, keep, to, to keep declaring the name of Jesus, there was a powerful witness that was evident. Thank you, Lord, that we were worthy of being beaten and suffering disgrace for the name. Verse 42, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, listen to this, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So let me just shorten that, consolidate those collection of verses just to help you. They were flogged, ordered not to speak the name of Jesus. Day after day, they continued. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming and preaching the name Jesus. What would it take you to shut up? To be told you need to behave this way or don't do that or do do this. These apostles were maverick. They were rogue. They were bonkers by the world standards, inspired by heaven standards. They were operating by another ethos. They were rebels, but not just for the sake of it. They were rebels with a cause. Rebels with a purpose. Rebels with a conviction. That's what I call holy rebels. They were given an instruction to abide by, yet they chose not to. And it doesn't seem very Christian if what it means to be Christian is totally always abiding by all the instructions and edicts from the state and those in authority over us. I was even thinking on this this week, and I'm not trying to cause offense here or get political, but I wonder if the COVID lockdowns were issued back in the early church by the government, how compliant the early church would have been. When the state says you can't meet physically, would the church have gone, okay, then cool. We'll do it remotely and we'll do it via Zoom and all those sorts of things. I just wonder how the early church would have responded to that. These days, Christians are often misrepresented. Christians are the ones that comedians mock because we are low-hanging fruit in their opinion and we're so passive, we're never going to respond to any of their accusation. People think, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you don't know Jesus today, maybe this is some of your perception, but people think we're boring. People think we're gutless. People think we're nerdy, maybe of the sock and crock variety, okay? People think that church is just a place for old people where they go to grey out until they die. People think the church is weak. People think the church is thick because, you know, we believe in God rather than atheism and evolution. Surely we have no brain cells to rub together. They think we're just so compliant. We're like a goody two-shoes. They think we are soft, irrelevant. They think we are religious and they think we're old school. Have you ever heard any of those accusations kind of placed on Christians or the church? I know I have. Let me tell you, this was not the perception of the church 2,000 years ago. The perception of the church 2,000 years ago was, man, these people are dynamic and they are powerful. I know that because of what we read at the start of today's passage. Look at this in verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. 
Listen, no one else dared. Everyone say dared. No one else dared join them. It was risky to be a Christian. Even though they were highly regarded by the people. <laughs> I love this. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. It's like an oxymoron. No one else dared join them, but in the next breath, you couldn't stop people from joining them. It's like these two things are kind of true simultaneously. If you decode that word dared there, it means that people lacked courage to join the church because of what it meant. They saw the persecution. They saw the opposition. They saw the oppression. And they even saw Ananias and Sapphira thing playing out. And it says that fear gripped all the people. No one else joined these people. Yet something about this church was so gravitational. It was radical. That people couldn't stop joining and daily, numbers were added. Listen to this, verse 15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats. Listen to this. So that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This is un. Believable. People were so enamored and impressed with the witness of the church that they connected the dots. Listen, when the church was present, you could expect breakthroughs, miracles, manifestations of power, acts, supernatural acts of provision, deliverance of demons, and heaven impact earth. That's what you could expect. It was so dynamic. They even thought the shadows of the church was powerful. Somewhere, we've traded all that for flower shows, social communities, knitting groups, and other things. <laughs> I realize I just need to shut up. <laughs> That was the thought that went in my head. I thought, what would Louise do? I need a WWLD. What would Louise do in this moment? Okay. Nothing's wrong with those things, of course. But somewhere, surely, we've just become pacified, content to just like go with the flow, easily battered by the instruction of the state easily compliant by the threat of cancer culture and the fear of being disliked by the world. And I just get the sense, even today, as I'm reading this passage, just we need to recover some of the old paths here. This week, I went to Lidl's for some food to get lunch. It's so exciting. I love Lidl's. It's amazing. If Jesus shopped on earth now, Lidl's would be where he'd be. I'm sure of it. Um, and, you know, the middle of Lidl. I've got, I've got every little app going. I know what's coming into Lidl this, today and Thursday. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm up to speed. I know what's coming in. Um, and I went for some rolls and some pudding and stuff. And guess what I bought? I've kind of declared. I've, I've kind of self declared Yeah, no, close. I bought a tool. You know, it's just one of those things. I need a gatto, but I also need, like, an air compressor. 
I'm here to do the weekly shop. I need some sauce for bolognese and some sheets for lasagna, and I also need a petrol-powered chainsaw, obviously. How else are we going to cut through one of Louise's cheesecakes? No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's fired. Nah. Her, her baking's actually come on so, so well. That sounds so patronising. There's no way getting that. You're doing really well with your baking, Luby. Keep going. Well done. Yeah. I remember once, I think it was, I think it was Neil and Katie Lurie, wasn't it, that came over? I don't know. I know Neil's here. I haven't seen Katie. Do you remember that? Oh, do you remember that? Was, that? was that the thickest cheesecake base you've ever seen? It was, wasn't it? What's that? <laughs> moving, <laughs> moving swiftly on for once the most appropriate thing to be said in this church today was did not come from my mouth which is great <laughs> but there was a sense where like when I was doing the fencing in our garden I ran out of some kind of minute concrete you know the concrete that sets quick and I was like Louise can you make one of your cheesecakes please <laughs> whack it in the hole She's a great cook. It's just cakes were never a thing. And anyways, we've got a great relationship. I don't mean to think, we're just having a bit of fun here. Her cakes are brilliant, especially the top bit above the base. I love that bit. <laughs> Move on, all right, fair enough. Anyways, I go to Lidl, and um, see what I mean? WWLD is what I need. And I bought this. I've actually wanted one of these for years. Ever since, ever since I've uh, tiled my bathroom, I've wanted one. Does anyone know what it is? Yes. A profile gauge, okay. Um, Pedro, can you come here a minute, please? This is cool. Oh, give him a round of applause. If you are, if you are um, tiling, doing some vinyl, I mean, doing loads of different things, really, and, there's a, and you hit a weird shape, like this face, like as an example, right? <laughs> I'm on it today. And I need to, like... <laughs> can you just stay still? That is Pedro's. <laughs> That's you, Pedro. It looks just like you. Right? Then, if I needed to tile up to Pedro's face, I can lock that in, and now I've got a gauge. I can now take it to a tile. I can draw around that beautiful outline. It's a beautiful face, for sure. And now, when I'm tiling, it goes right up to his face. It's brilliant, right? I, and it's funny because I took it to the church office and Joe Jackson says, I bet you're going to try and put that in a preach, aren't you? I was like, actually, this will work really well in a preach. This is great. Because really, the, the, the sense of this uh, series in Acts is not just to look and go, wow, wasn't that church great? Wow, wasn't it dynamic? Wow, wasn't it impactful? Wow, wasn't it purified? Wow, wasn't it, wasn't it so amazing? Like, just, just these powerful shadows. Wasn't, wasn't it amazing? Actually, the, the goal of this series, as we're working through it, is to actually take a gauge to it, right? Press around it and go, okay, that's the shape. That's the shape that God is calling us to imitate, to copy, to mimic. That's the profile. So actually, our profile isn't the church down the road. The profile isn't Sunny Hill five years ago. The profile isn't the best church in the world. The profile isn't to look at the mega church and the church. We can learn lessons, but ultimately it's to go back to the source, the book, because Dr. Luke goes to great lengths to describe the type of community and culture that was being established in the church 2,000 years ago. And so when we read these moments, 
We must resist this idea of going, wow, imagine being part of that. And instead, have a paradigm shift to say, we're going to build that here. That's the church that God is still working with. That's the type of church that God is still building. Amen? It's that we want to get this uh, profile of the church, and really that's what we're looking at today. We're seeing this dynamic, powerful church. Now, sometimes we think, well, you know, as Christians, we don't want to rock the boat because it's important that we're loved by everybody. But I think sometimes we can fall into that deception. Listen, that is not the great commandment. The great commandment is essentially threefold in Matthew 22. To love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Nowhere does it say, and this is important to hear, nowhere does it say, and be loved by your neighbor. Think about that for a minute. Your desire to be loved or even liked might be the thing that prevents you from truly loving your neighbor. I'll say that again. Your desire to be loved or even liked might be the thing that prevents you from truly loving your neighbor. Sometimes to love your neighbor, you have to do and say things that they don't love. Are you tracking with me? It's actually when you uncouple yourself from that insatiable need to be liked that you become powerful. The early church weren't trying to do things to try and become more popular in the city. They were just doing what God had called them to do. And because they didn't have that insatiable need to be liked, they were really loved by the people. You see it. You see it as you read through Acts. Even in Acts 2, it says they grew in favor with the people. Why? Because this church was so dynamic, they changed the environments. They, they fed people who were hungry. They healed people who were sick. They were uh, delivering people who were demonized. This church was dynamic, and so people liked having the church around. But beyond the people in the community, ancient Rome as a whole saw Christianity, listen to this, and by extension the church, as a distinct threat to their way of life. Rome, one of the mightiest empires in the history books, Rome, like ancient Rome, the brilliant Romans, the unstoppable Romans, one of the mightiest empires to ever exist, found the church a cause for concern. Isn't that amazing? Not just Rome, but the religious leaders of the day. The church was a stone in the shoe to their existence. A stone that needed to be crushed and disposed of, which in principle was easier said than done. And you'll see why in a moment. The church they experienced was not a passive compliant entity that just sat on the periphery of life, hoping that everyone liked them, but rather they were forcefully advancing the kingdom of God. John, uh, Matthew 11, Jesus says, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. And he says, and the force will lay hold of it. The kingdom of God is not reached or attained or established without a forceful intentional attitude. We cannot passively inherit the kingdom. That's why that worship song was quite apt. This is how I fight my battles. 
to intentionally align myself to the Spirit of God, to the will of God, that he can use me as a conduit to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer. Not to sit on the periphery of life, just taking hits. Even today, in any regime where there is a dictator trying to control the people or some autocratic, autocratic state agenda, one of the first things that that state will outlaw is the Bible. And then secondary, the church. I went to Burma a few years ago. And uh, on their state-created propaganda newspaper that came out every day, there was a box that said, the Bible is forbidden and it was a punishable crime to be in possession of one. The church was so persecuted in this country. I've been there a couple of times, actually, but the church was so persecuted that it was driven underground. What I mean by that is not that they met, like, underground, but rather off-grid. That They had to be invisible. They had to operate from the shadows. Like, if you are a passive, indifferent, apathetic believer, you can't be part of that church. Because that church takes kahunas, ultimately. It takes intentional, forceful, a sense of holy rebellion to lay hold of it. It's weird, because history and data show us clearly that where Christianity flourishes, societies flourish too. It's what data and history shows us. That where society is built on the word of God, a prosperity follows. We've seen it so many times. So why would a regime want to crush an entity that has the potential to develop a society? Because Christianity propagates a message. And this is the message. There is only one Lord, and he is the Lord of Lords. There is only one King, and he is the king of kings, and he bows to no man. And this divine king will lead you into all truth and freedom. And it's hard. It's hard to build a dictatorship when you have a society of free thinking, free speaking, and free living people. Corrupt nations, governments, and autocrats thrive on mass conformity. If you can get most people to think the same, saying the same, living the same, they can be easily controlled. Whilst dictators, governments, societies rise and fall, Satan, the architect of the world's ethos, wants everyone to follow the pattern offered to them. I'll say that again because I need you to capture it. Whilst dictators, governments, societies rise and fall, Satan, the architect of the world's ethos, wants everyone following the pattern offered to them. Even when you think about Rome, historically, they were able to impose their, their Roman way and ethos on subjugated societies and peoples. They were an unstoppable military force, and they would conquer a people, they would bring their pattern of life, enforce the pattern of life, and then move on. Even the religious leaders of Jesus' day had succumbed to the Kool-Aid. They were doing the bidding of the Roman Empire. The Sanhedrin were working on behalf of the Roman Empire. For an easy life and a prominent life, the Sanhedrin that makes up of the San Sadducees and Pharisees just needed to receive the pattern and impress the pattern. Enter the church. The church could not receive that pattern. Got so, he's trying to play keys here, Sam. And I feel really sorry for him because he, 
looks like a thunderbird. Just with a puppet. Just no sound coming. I've been there, dude. I've done that myself. That's a good note. It's a solid note, Matt. Nice one. Enter the church. The church could not receive that pattern. The intent of the Roman Empire to subjugate people, the church could not receive it. And therefore they could not impress it. Hence, they were a stone in the shoot. Romans says directly against these matters in Romans 12 verse 2, don't conform to this pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you think is key. A renewed mind is the way you are transformed. I loved your shirt today, Dan, by the way. That is so cool. Be transformed. It's good. It's not the best Christian shirt here today, though. There is a cooler one. George, you need to stand up. Stand in the light. You need to see this for a Christian shirt. Come here. Don't reveal it yet. Don't reveal it yet. Come. As in, walk backwards. That's it. Walk back over here into the light. Look at this. This is a receipt from heaven. Salvation. Jesus paid it all. Dare free. How good's that? That's cool, isn't it? See if you can top that throughout this series. That's pretty cool. I've, I've got to kind of land this, land this plane. There's a few more things I'd, I guess I'd like to say, but let me just say that we are called, if you know Christ as your saviour, we are called to be holy rebels. And it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Because we typically, typically see holy as being good and rebels as being bad. However, if you look at what holy means, it means to be consecrated, set apart or different. We're called to be different primarily. In John's epistle, he says, be holy as God is holy. Like, be different to the world. That's the invitation. And rebels, if you look at that word as a dictionary definition, it means to be an opposer or a disruptor or resistance to the status quo. Holiness is not passive. It's a transformative force. Jesus was a disruptor. He spoke truth, freed captives, healed the sick, advanced the kingdom, and his message and method led him to the cross. He was executed because of his disrupting manner. If you look at the passage between those two things today, I think you'll be challenged by what you see. I think you'll be immensely challenged. If you look, really we've done the bookend, the end of that long passage and the start of that long passage. If you look at the story of how it unfolds, it's unreal. The church are put in jail, but an angel leads them out of jail. Like, if you're talking about being a good Christian and compliant with the law, I think you should probably stay in jail when you've been arrested. Even angels seem to be holy rebels. <laughs> I mean, what's really funny about the story is that when the when the temple guard come to the jail, the, the cells are still locked, but the church aren't in there. The apostles are gone. So this angel is so rebellious, he didn't just open the door, he locked it after he left. <laughs> That's a real head scratcher. Like if you're the temple guard, you come, wait, wait, can you open the doors, please? All right, they're gone. Well, who locked the door? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing's a head scratcher. And the angel basically says to the church, he says, you've got to go and speak. You know, go and proclaim the good news. Go and preach about the good news that is Jesus. Like, go and do it in the temple courts. And so they obey this instruction from the angel of the Lord. And they're in the temple courts proclaiming the good news. And so when the temple guards go to jail and they're not there, like, well, where are they? And then someone says, oh, they're in the temple courts preaching. But you know, that shouldn't be happening. 
you know, some of us are so compliant, an angel would come, open the door and go, no, we're not allowed out, no. <laughs> I, know I know I've got to stay inside, yeah, because uh, I don't want to offend anyone or get cancelled on Instagram, so I better just stay here, innit? Like, just... And the angel's glowing and he's like 10 foot, he's like, get out! Get out right now! No, I don't want to get in trouble. It's funny because this isn't the last time the church is in jail. They're kind of in and out of jail a few times. But just there's a picture of the freedom that they're truly experiencing because for them, freedom wasn't on the outside of the door. Freedom was on the inside of their heart. So there's other place in Scripture where the jail cells open and they don't even leave. They just worship God where they are. Because freedom for them wasn't about being physically free. It was about being spiritually free. Isn't that so cool? That's how rebellious the church is. Sometimes I just choose to stay. <laughs> but I, there's just one thing. Let me just read it because I do want to say this. Let me just get this off my chest and then we can call it a day. Um, so they see the apostles causing havoc, preaching the good news. They bring the apostles to them, appear before the Sanhedrin, and questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He says, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I mean, it's interesting. The Sanhedrin are wanting to be uncoupled from the accusation that they were responsible for the death of Christ. Peter doesn't miss and hit the wall. Peter and the other apostles replied, Listen to this. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Don't receive the pattern of the world. The pattern that would seek to suppress your walk with Jesus. To silence your walk with Jesus. When God tells you to jump, you jump. When God tells you to speak, you speak. When God tells you to move, you move. Even if all of the state, all the military forces, all the kingdoms of the earth are set against you, I must obey God rather than man. Even if this could lead to me being cancelled, even if this could lead me to being killed, I must obey God rather than man. Because God has not saved me to be a passive, compliant entity that just nods his head and bows the knee. He has caused me to be a son of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He has called you. He has called you to be the head, not the tail. He has called you to be above and not beneath. He has caused you to bring a shift of culture to this world, not just to follow it. He has called you to set the temperature, not just respond to the temperature that you walk in. God has appointed you and anointed you to stand for him no matter how difficult. And you've got all of heaven's armies on your side, in your corner, opening prison doors that you don't even realise are being opened when they're being opened. And the angel of the Lord stands before you and says, just walk through, walk through and speak up, live the life. A, a, a purified church is a powerful church. And if there was a bit that precedes that, and I know I've got to end because we want to worship and then we're going to go out with a bang, right? Um, 
is that this is a hard thing to hear, but you need to hear it because I've seen the fruit of it. And I wish that like a, a purified church often happens when you get okay preaching or great worship or you have some inspiring testimonies. But let me tell you, God's primary tool to purify you is that the world should persecute you. That's a difficult pill to swallow. Jesus says you will be hated because of me. So if your priority as a Christian is to be liked, you're misunderstanding the gospel. When you truly live for Jesus, there will be people who like you and there will be people who despise you. But listen, a purified church is a powerful church. A persecuted church is a purified church. I say that again. A persecuted church is a purified church. And a purified church is a powerful church. Let me tell you, because persecution, what it does is it separates those who are just here for the party and those who are here for the name. It separates those who are just going with the flow, just going, oh, church is quite a nice place to be. I quite like it. it makes me feel good. And those who say, I will give my life for this cause. I will give my life. I'll lay my life down for Christ. Now, I'm preaching an ideal here. I'm not trying to say, oh, no, I'm, I'm definitely like that. But that has to be the journey I'm on. That has to be the pursuit of my heart. All or nothing. That's the gospel invitation. To actually deny myself, to pick up the cross, to die to myself. That's the invitation. And actually that invitation can only be realized when you're feeling resistant. So actually, I've learned that we shouldn't pray that God should stop persecution. We should pray for the persecuted church. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But actually persecution is one of the most effective tools at making the church powerful. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I know you've read about it as well, most likely, in Iran or China, you know, or Myanmar or other persecuted nations that are, you know, something like one in five Christians are like heavily persecuted. Like they, they might have to give up their life. And I know that's not our reality right now. But what I'm trying to do this morning is build strength into you and revelation into you. That actually things won't get easier for the church things will get harder and I'm not here to poo poo the parade I'm not here to try and like just pop the balloon but actually there's something exciting about it because a persecuted church is a purified church and a purified church is a powerful church